Our church has a partnership with New Community Church of Chicago, which is a Congolese church just within walking distance of our church. And throughout the years, we have done a variety of events with them. And one of the events that we do is a World Cup soccer match. We are going on our third year of doing this, and we were supposed to do it next Sunday. But they, um, the co-founder of their church has just unexpectedly passed away. Um, it was... Um, it was a 51-year-old uh, woman who died of cancer, and it's, it's just very devastating for this church and the community, and uh, some people are going to be coming from the Congo to take part in the memorial service funeral, and it's going to be happening next weekend, and so as that's, that church is in a state of mourning uh, and great pain right now, uh, I spoke to the pastor this week, we're going to hold off and not do the World Cup next weekend, we're going to do it uh, on the 19th uh, of August. And so just, just kind of make a note there. But I also want to just pause now because we are going to pray for them because he, he's really shaken up and the, so is the church. And this is very devastating for them. So I just want to want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are just going to meet in a few hours, just, just real close to us. So let, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I pray for Pastor Kaviti. I pray for the church. I pray for um, 16-year-old son left behind I pray for those coming in from Congo, and I pray just for the surrounding community who's impacted by this, and I ask for great mercy and compassion and love and your kindness and mercy to be poured out in abundance upon them, that you would encourage them and get their eyes continually uh, fixated as they mourn, fixated on their eternal home, and give them great comfort that she is with the Lord because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. And she is rejoicing. And as they mourn, Lord, as I know they will be rejoicing through their mourning, I just ask that you would be with them and guide them during this this time of of great loss, personally and also corporately in the church. And I just ask that you would be with uh, Pastor Kaviti as he will be preaching today and at the funeral and then again next Sunday during this time of mourning for them. So, Lord, I just ask that you would be with them very close. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's turn to the book of Second Peter. You might not know where that's at. That's okay. Look in the table of contents. It comes after a book called First Peter, which I don't think that's very helpful to help you find it, but it's near the back of the Bible. And if you haven't been with us, it's okay, but we are going to finish the book up today. Like, we're done with Second Peter today. We're going to do a few different things before the fall, and when the fall hits, we're going to jump into the book of Proverbs again, Lord willing, for the whole year. But if you haven't been with us, 2 Peter is, is written, in a sense, to, to warn the church about a variety of false teachers and their messages who have infiltrated the church with regard to uh, these false teachers who were bringing a, a, a doctrine of the Christ was not returning, so they could continue to live lives of sexual morality. They could continue to live lives of greed, and they could live, live lives of taking advantage of one another. And last week, if you were here, Peter says, look, no, no, no. Jesus is indeed coming back for sure in God's timing. That's what he said last week. Now, this week, we're going to look at him and say, since he is coming back, you need to get ready with lives of holiness. Now, let me just stop here because we're about to read, but I just wanted to say, I, I, I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know what's going on with your life. I don't know if this is like kind of a casual, let's attend church before we move on with our life. 
you may have a lot of plans this afternoon. Great tonight. Great. I don't know what's going on. But this is serious stuff in the Word this morning. Peter is going to say, Jesus is coming back. And since he is, you need to live a holy life, a godly life. Let's not just fly past this in our busy, lazy, whatever summers. Let's say, okay, we're here. Let's make the most of the opportunity, get in the Word, see what he has to say to us. Are you out with that? Let's go ahead and stand and read the passage. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 11. I'll go ahead and read it to you. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You may be seated. I was trying to think of ways to explain it to you this week. So this is is what I got, because I really want you to get this, all right? There is a debate that has been going on. Most of you are unaware of. Most of you don't even care. But let me just tell you, there's a debate going on in the adoption world that kind of goes like this. It has to do with identity, background, and homeland. So, for example, if someone in America adopts a child from another country and that child is going to be coming to America, how much of their original culture and context should carry over? So, so many of you who have adopted or you will adopt or maybe you've been adopted from another country, how much of the original culture should carry over into this context of the American culture? And so basically, some are really, really adamant. If you ever run across them, you'll know they're very adamant about maintaining the culture the child is from, from their language as best as you can, from their heritage, uh, from their music to their traditions to the names, and some countries are very adamant about maintaining these things as you bring the child into the new culture. But there are some people who are just as adamant about keeping the old culture out while letting the child develop a new identity based upon the American culture with the American family and American names in a new context, new family, leaving the old culture behind. Now, I'm not going to get into that argument. I'm not going to jump into the midst of that debate. I'm staying out of it. 
But I want you to think about this. If you're a believer, like for real, you really believe in Jesus, you trust him to save you, the Bible says that you, I'm not making this up, the Bible says that you have been adopted. You've been adopted into an, a new family. And so you're no longer part of your old culture of sin anymore. Rather than being a slave to sin, you're now a servant to the Lord. Rather than being bondage to that which is old, you now submit to that which as new, and you do it freely. And though you may live in Evanston, and you may eat at Chipotle, and you may shop at Whole Foods, and you may exercise and run by the lake, which is a lot of fun. I like to do that. And you may live here. The reality is, if you have been adopted, this earth, this Evanston, this Chicago is not your home. It's not. You have been adopted. You're, you're, you're part of another family. And the family is the family of God, and it's at, eventually is going to be another location. And I would say this. Your adoption is final. It's a done deal. The Father has for sure already adopted you through faith in Jesus Christ. But you know what hasn't taken place yet? The pickup. You haven't been picked up yet. You haven't had this location change. Did you know, there's several families in this church that have experienced a very odd thing. We experienced it. When we adopted our daughter from Ethiopia, she was legally ours. But she wasn't in our home yet. It's the strangest thing. Yeah, I have a daughter. Where is she? She's in Ethiopia. She's legally mine. And you, 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 many of you families have experienced it. Legally yours, but another country. You're just waiting, or they're waiting, for the pickup, which comes at a later time. And for us, we have been legally adopted by the Father through Jesus. And we're waiting to be picked up. We're waiting for our new location. And get this, while we wait, we start to conform our actions we start to transform our minds. We start to get ready for the new location with Jesus. We start to just want to be there, long to be with him, want to be with him, and we want to alter our lives to fit where we're going. Do you get that? We want to just, like, what do we need to change in our lives that's going to conform more to where we're going rather than where we're at? That's kind of what Peter's getting at. And so if, let me put it to you in a very wordy statement. Let me put a very wordy statement. Can I put this up on the screen? This we are citizens. This is what Peter's getting at. We are citizens of the promised new world. And we want to live according to its rule of righteousness. We want to start conforming to that rule and wait actively as we hasten its arrival. Now, I'm going to say something today that's new to me, and maybe it's going to be new to you, and I hope it's in the Bible, but we, we don't just wait for Jesus to come back, but we can actually... Now, this is going to sound really freaky. I'll show you later. But we can actually do something. I, I'm telling you. We can actually do something to speed it up. Oh, boy. I'm serious. God's sovereign. Yes, he's sovereign. But we'd actually do something to speed it up. You don't believe it? I'm going to show you later, okay? So let's just go ahead and jump in this text. It's going to be so awesome. 
So we're going to start with verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So I don't don't mean to bum you out or anything, but everything you see is going to be dissolved. And you you might say, give me some details. Look at verse 10. Can you look at verse 10? Just go back one verse, chapter, chapter 3, verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We spoke about last week. It's like, like some scholars believe that this is talking about a purifying fire that will not completely destroy the earth, but more of a purifying fire. And there are other scholars believe that, no, this earth's a done deal. And, and I'm, I kind of lean that direction that this is a done deal because I think the language in Peter is over and over again just seems to indicate that this, this earth is going to be destroyed in judgment and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. But I don't want to get into that argument this morning because either way, who, whatever you believe one way or the other, the elements in some sense are going to be destroyed and, and pass off the scene, which means that we do not pin our hopes on this decaying world. Now, I'm not saying that we do not plant flowers. I'm not saying that we do not recycle appropriately. We're, we're in Evanston, by the way. We've got to recycle. Salvation by recycling. So, not saying that we don't recycle. But... What I'm talking about is we don't connect ourselves with this world in such a way that we want to be connected with the sin and the decaying nature of wickedness and evil that we want to separate our lives from the sinful world and live holy lives. It's what Peter says. Look again at verse 11. He says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? It's almost like... He's like saying, this is a no-brainer. If this sinful world is going to be destroyed, why would you want to associate with this sinful world? No, no, it's a no-brainer. Live lives separated from sin of holiness and godliness. What does he mean? What does he mean, lives of holiness and godliness? What's he talking about? Give, Give me some categories. Wait, here's some categories. The Apostle Paul. In Colossians chapter 3, gives all types of categories of things that we should not do. In a sense, put off, and all these things that we should do, put on. So here's some categories for you. These are the things we are to get rid of, put to death. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. So those are all the things that are associated with this world, going to pass off the scene. We want to separate our lives and godliness and holiness from these things. But we also want to pursue those things that are connected with our new home of righteousness. Things like compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another in love, forgiving one another. And these are things, do you get this? We want to separate from the sin And we want to put on these things of godly and holy living as we anticipate living 
in this new location with Jesus Christ, this home of righteousness. All right, back, back to the text. Look at verse 12. Here we go. This is that part I was telling you about. I'm going to explain. In fact, before we look at this, what I'm about to tell you, I've never heard before. Can you believe that? As a pastor, I study the word like fresh each week. And there's some stuff that I learn I've never heard before. And when something hits me I've never heard before, I want to say, oh, come on. Is that really true? <laughs> and then I go to my trusted theologians, and, and they're like saying, yes, that is true. And I say, well, you're just one theologian. And I go read another one. And they're like, no, no, it really is true. I don't believe you either. And I go to another one. And when, a, when several of them tell me it's true, then I start to believe it. All right? So this is something new I've never heard before, but I think it's really cool. Check it out. Verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So as we anticipate this day of judgment, where God brings his wrath and this destruction, we wait for it, but we can also uh, speed it up. <laughs> look again. Look at You see? Verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What does that word hastening mean? I don't use that word much. Well, it means to speed up. It means to accelerate. And for those of you who have the ESV study Bible, it means to hurry by extra effort. And the idea is, and I I don't think I'm being heretical here, but the idea is that as we live holy and godly lives, we can speed up the return of Christ. I'm telling you, (laughs) never heard it before. Doesn't mean God's not sovereign, because he is. He has his timetable laid out. But God also uses a means as part of his sovereignty, which means he uses several things as he speeds up his timetable. One of those is prayer. You ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? In the Lord's Prayer, it says, your kingdom come. So we're praying, God, bring your force here. Ultimately, bring, come back, Jesus. The second thing is evangelism. You know, the Bible says something that as the gospel goes throughout the earth and as the nations start to hear, then the Lord will come back. Who takes part in evangelism? You do, and I do. The same concept here with holy living. I don't understand how it works, but as God's people are living holy lives, it plays a part in the return of Jesus Christ. There was actually this belief among the Jews before the New Testament that was taught pretty widely that if all the Jews in one day obeyed the law, repented of sin, and obeyed the law, the Messiah would come. That was a teaching. That wasn't taught in the Bible, but that's what the Jews taught. But it's interesting that the Apostle Peter, when he's preaching early on in the church, he says something, not as similar, but he says something that almost kind of picks up on that idea. And it's in the book of Acts. I want to put it up for you. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Peter says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. So Peter said, come to repentance, turn away from sin. It's going to be time of forgiveness, 
refreshment, and eventually the return of Christ. And I think that Peter is reiterating some of that idea in our text this morning by saying that God's people, by living holy lives, in some sense take part in ushering in the day of God's judgment and the return of Christ. It's, it's almost like it's a hastening by holiness that we can speed up the return of Christ in some way, I don't understand it all, by living lives of holiness and separation from sin. There is a family in our church. He's the associate pastor. John Bechtel and his wife, Layla, are, are currently trying to adopt this 13-year-old girl from Latvia. And this girl from Latvia, Arena, has known about it for a while. She currently lives in a situation over there that is more of a, an orphanage-type home, and she has already been here. She's been to our church. She's met the Bechtel. She's lived in their home, and now she's had to go back. But she knows she's coming this way. How excited do you think she is about being part of a family? How excited do you think she is about getting over here? How much time do you think her thoughts are consumed with that, being a part of a family? A lot, right? But there's not much she could do <laughs> to speed up the process. But what the Bible's telling us is that our mind and our hearts and our thoughts should be consumed with the coming of the Lord. But in some sense, our fight against sin, our struggles to walk in righteousness and live a holy life, in some sense, takes part of this hastening process. I don't understand it all. It's new to me. But as we long for him and separate from sin, want to worship him alone, it, it, in some sense, it's hastening the day of the Lord, which I think is pretty, pretty powerful. And I, I just, if you feel like I'm going to over-reiterate again and again the, the concept of holiness, I am. Because I want to keep hitting holiness. Because sometimes I feel like in our church, we say, oh, but we're all about grace. We're all about grace. And absolutely, we're all about grace. But when we say that we're all about grace, it doesn't mean we're all about grace, so just do whatever the heck you want. Just do whatever you want. Who cares? We're all about grace. No, no. Grace is to motivate holy living. Because God loves us, we want to obey him. So I want to kind of harp on holiness, all right? So just, just bear with me. Let me put up this passage. 1 Peter 1.15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So God's holy, we want to be holy. And part of this holiness means identifying those areas in your life that are not pleasing to God, confess them, and separate yourselves from them. Recently, I had a chance, and my wife did also, to um, read a book. So if you want to do some summer reading, here's the good one. Let me put it up for you. It's Craig Groeschel's new book. It's called Soul Detox. It's really good. It's clean living in a contaminated world. It's a it's a, it's a quick read, but it's very good. And, and in there, the whole concept is let's, let's detox our souls and separate ourselves from things that are contaminating us in a variety of ways, whether they're attitudes or patterns. And he says that one of the things we need to do is that we need to stop hiding and start seeking. That is, we need to stop hiding our sins and start seeking the Lord. And he has a variety of areas that maybe some of you have been hiding 
and not seeking the Lord for forgiveness. You've been hiding your sin. And he says a few things. He says, do you have um, a, a secret addiction? Do you binge eat and then cover it up? Are you cutting, hurting yourself, then covering up the scars? Are you shopping, spending, or gambling away your resources to numb the pain? Are you going too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Are you stealing from your employer? Are you idolizing success or material possessions? He's saying we need to stop hiding these things and start seeking the Lord. Did you know one of the very first verses I've ever memorized was from the book of Proverbs? Proverbs 28.13. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on. I don't have an inside track to your mind. I don't follow you around. I don't see what you do in secret. I don't see your attitudes. I don't see what's going on in private. But if you're concealing sin in your life, I can guarantee you that in some sense there is misery in your life right now. You may enjoy sin for a little bit, but if you are concealing your sin, you're not in this prospering mode. But there is mercy and there is forgiveness for those who confess. And Peter wants his church to live a holy life. And God wants our church to live a holy life. And it's okay if we make our church messy. If you start confessing some really messy stuff and we have to get out some mops and start mopping up your mess, that's fine. It's okay to create a mess in here to out yourself in sin because the mercy and grace can flow into your life of forgiveness in Christ. So stop hiding and start seeking. And there can be many people who get on the stage who can give testimonies right now what God has done in their life in the past, even right now where they can confess and say there is freedom in confession. There's freedom in forgiveness. There's freedom in stop concealing your sins but living a life of holiness. Let's keep going. Verse 3, 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we're not just separating ourselves from the coming judgment, but we're also separating ourselves for our future home, where it will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Why is righteousness going to dwell in our new home? Well, that's where God is. God is a God of righteousness. And he has transformed us as his people to live holy and righteous lives. And one day, we are going to love one another perfectly. We're going to worship God perfectly. Now, don't think that God's saying, I'm not going to let you into heaven unless you're a good person. Some people will ask them, why are you going to go to heaven? They'll say, because I've been a good person. No, no, no. People that go to heaven are people who are messed up, sinful people who confess their sins and find forgiveness in Jesus. Those are the ones that get to heaven, and they are living these perfect lives in heaven because they've been transformed by grace, by the gospel, by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But as we wait for that future time, get this, we start to act a certain way now in righteousness that conforms to that time. It's going to be an awesome time. I I cannot wait 
to see all that God has prepared for us as his people. Can you imagine not struggling with sin anymore? Can you imagine not arguing and fighting with people anymore? Can you imagine not struggling in your body anymore? Can you imagine being with the Lord at this place that's going to be with him of complete righteousness and communion with God? That's going to be awesome. And it's going to happen soon. It's going to happen real soon. For some of you, you're going, to, you're going to not live much longer. I mean, we think we're going to live forever, no matter what age you are. But one day you'll die and you'll be with the Lord. And that's not that far off. Let me just kind of put time in perspective for you. This past week, on July 26th, my wife and I celebrated our 15th anniversary. We've been married 15 years. Amazing. And I'm old. Just Amazing. Now, when we were first married, we exchanged rings. That's kind of what you do, right? You give them a ring, you say, here, I love you, and here's your valuable ring, here's your valuable And so it was a very special time. But now we've been f- married 15 years later, and so we've decided to exchange, not necessarily exchange, but we bought one another a present for our 15th anniversary. So let me just show you what, I, what we bought us, all right? This is special, really special. Okay. <laughs> now, let me explain. This is, this is I know you're jealous. But this, this is a 15-passenger van. Now, this is symbolic. 15 years, get this, 15 years marriage, 15-passenger van for $1,500. Isn't that awesome? You're catching the symbolism here. Yeah. You catch symbol. A little, little bit of rust on it. doesn't show up very much there. It might fall through the holes. But 15 years of marriage. And, and get this. When my wife and I exchanged rings, we never thought in 15 years... God's goodness would just be multiplied in so many ways. Never thought we'd be in such a loving church where people loved us and cared for us. Never thought we would outgrow a minivan. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And, and never thought that God would be so much faithful. And that, and that happened in 15 years. And let me tell you this. Those 15 years have been, just been hard. Things have been hard in life. If you're married, you know marriage is not easy. You've got kids, that's not easy. If you're a part of a church, you know that's not easy. If you have a job, you know that's not easy. Things are, have been hard, but God has been faithful. And though we couldn't imagine what he was going to do 15 years ago, we've seen his faithfulness. Now think about this. What is your life going to be like in 150 years from now? What's your life going to be like 1,500 years from now? How about 15,000 years from now? What's your life going to be like 15 million years from now? You will look back to your time perhaps on this earth and think, I could not imagine what God was going to do. But man, he has blown me away. And that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for this time with the Lord. But as we wait, and we are waiting, we wait Actively, we actively wait. So let's kind of start to finish up here at this act of waiting. Keep looking. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So as you're waiting, you want to be found living a holy life. I'm not telling you, please, please, do not think I'm telling you, you need to start living a holy life so you can get saved. No, no, I'm telling you, since you already are saved 
through faith in Christ. Now work out your salvation. Start to live a holy life. Separate yourselves from those aspects of sin as you're going to a new place with the Lord, to this home of righteousness. See that you're at peace with him. And look at verse 15, the very first part. It says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Last week, we asked the question, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Well, because he's patient. He's patient for people to repent. But last week, we saw that he says he's patient with you. That means someone in the church may be dragged away by these false teachers, and they need to repent before the return of Jesus Christ. So he's patient. So if you're at a spot right now, you're not quite sure if you know the Lord, or if you're at a spot right now where you confess Jesus, but you know you're not really a believer in Christ, this is God's patience for you to repent and come into a relationship with him before he returns. But Peter's not the only one preaching this message. The Apostle Paul is preaching the same message. Look at 15 again. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. So when you read the Bible, don't think that Peter and Paul have conflicting messages. No, they both preach about the return of Jesus Christ. They both preach about grace, but they also both preach about the need for fruitful living. Those who are saved will bear fruit. But these false teachers were taking the words of Paul and they were twisting them. Look at verse 16 again. It says, Paul, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now now take note that Peter recognized Paul's writing as authoritative scriptures. But these false teachers were taking the words of Paul and they were twisting them. Have you ever read Paul before and scratched your head and said, I do not know what he's talking about? Well, Peter says, okay, I'm with you on that. Paul is sometimes hard to understand. Does that make you feel better? Yes. But Paul is not impossible to understand. Sometimes, don't just think that sometimes scriptures are just going to come to you and just kind of, oh, whatever, it's not easy, I'll just fly over. No, take time to study and dig down deep. And yes, by God's grace, you can understand the teachings of Paul. But what these false teachers did is they twisted the words of Paul. Perhaps they twisted his emphasis on grace and used it as, hey, freedom to live sinful lives. Peter says, no, 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 no. Do not follow the twisting of these false teachers. And he says, I'm going to tell you beforehand, so once you see them twisting the words of Paul, you won't fall for it. Continue on. Verse 17. This is a very serious verse. It says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He says, be careful. Be on guard against this deception that these false teachers will bring. Do not get carried away because I don't want you to lose your own stability. Now, when it says lose your own stability, it means a turning away from the Lord. When you read the Bible, especially the book of Hebrews and some other passages, there will see some passages in there that will frighten you as a believer. 
you will see these passages that talk about what seems to you to be saying that you're going to lose your salvation. You're going to lose your stability. They're, they're, you feel like they're, they're, they're going to frighten you. But they, what's going on is these are actually warning passages. Now, I want to explain to you, as I have a hundred times before, this is how warning passages work. Warning passages are meant to warn you. So, for example... If you're on a, a curvy mountain going around the hillside and there's a sign up front that says, please slow down to 25 miles per hour so you can make it around the curve. Slow down. Now, when you're driving on the mountain, do any of you ever see the sign on the side of the mountain and as soon as you see the sign, you start screaming? Oh, no! I'm going to go off the side of the mountain. I'm going to die. No. What do you do? You see the sign, the warning, you slow down, and you make it around just fine. That is why the warning passages are in the Bible. It's a means to keep you persevering in the faith. So when you see these warning signs, don't fall prey to the false teachers and lose your own stability. Don't think, oh, no, I'm going to lose my salvation, and I'm going to go to hell. No, you see the warning, and you make it around just fine. And those who do not heed the warning were never saved in the first place. The warnings mean nothing to them. But believers pay attention to the warnings, and we make it around just fine, and we persevere in our faith, and we avoid the error and the heresy of lawless men and women. And Peter concludes the book, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's a good conclusion. Peter brings some of the themes he's t- touched on before of growth and grace and knowledge of Jesus. And if you want to remain stable, you want to keep growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, to him be the glory forever and ever. But I want to say something to you. And I think this is probably the most important thing I can say this morning. So if you haven't been listening, listen now. I would say the main way that you grow in fruit, that you grow in godliness and holiness, is by growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, by keeping your eyes upon him. I'm going to kind of explain a distinction here at the end, and I hope you understand it. I finished up this book a couple weeks ago by Matt Chandler. Let me put it up for you. It's called The Explicit Gospel. It's another good book if you want to read this summer. It's called The Explicit Gospel. And in The Explicit Gospel, he points out this teaching of the Puritans, godly men and women hundreds of years ago, the Puritans. And the teaching of Puritans centered on two things. Mortification, big word I know, mortification, and vivification. We've been on a roll of big words at our church the last three weeks, but kind of stay with me. So let me put up the word mortification, all right? No, no, there we go, mortification. Now, mortification, you're like, what does that mean? Well, put it to you really so. Mortification means killing sin. There's your, your, your motions, like a knife. Killing sin. Like, you want to be about killing sin in your life. The Bible talks about killing sin, about putting to death the deeds of the body. One of the ways we grow in holiness is mortification. We kill sin. But sometimes I, I, I worry that that's, 
that's kind of all we talk about. So let's say you go to counseling, and what do you do at counseling? You talk about your sin, you rehash your sin, you find new ways to kill your sin. What do you do when you go to accountability? You talk about your sin, you rehash your sin, and you find new ways to kill your sin, right? And sometimes counseling and accountability in small groups and Bible studies can all seem to be about mortification, where you kind of come in, you say, I'm the worst Christian ever, and your friend says, I am too, and you say, you know what, we just got to kill sin more. And, and I'm all for killing sin. I want it dead. Mortify, mortify, mortify. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, I'm not against that. The Bible teaches that. But it seems that there should be a greater emphasis on vivification. Let's put that word up, vivification. And this word, instead of just killing sin, we start to focus on those things that refresh us and bring life to us. And refresh us and bring life to us so much that we, we don't want sin as much. And I think that's what Peter is saying here when he says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In our accountability, counseling, small groups, what if I start telling you, look, you know, God loves you. He's for you, not against you. Jesus is the greatest, most exciting one to be worshipped ever. And I start putting before you these life-giving truths. And as you start to be drawn to Christ, you don't want to go sin as much. In fact, you are drawn more and more to him as you lift up, as he refreshes you. How about we emphasize more and more of that in our church, in our body life? It's just like this old hymn that maybe some of you have grown up singing in your churches. I'm going to put this old hymn up, up for you. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you get that? The more and more we're looking at him, his glory and his grace, things down here, the temptations down here won't be as strong. And so we find our hearts start to raise up and worship him. And that's where we want to be because he's going to come back. He's going to come back. He's going to come back. And we will be with him in a home of righteousness and live with him forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that those who may be hiding right now in their sin, that they would out themselves and, and turn into seekers of forgiveness and grace and mercy and realize there is so much joy in Jesus and forgiveness and a, a guilt-free conscience clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And I just ask my brothers and sisters who are struggling with sin, as I struggle with sin, as we all struggle with sin, that you would get us to a point where we're not just putting it to death, but that we're caught up in your grace, we're caught up in the gospel, we're caught up in forgiveness, we're caught up in this intimate relationship with you, and that the things of this earth, the temptations of this world will start to fade away as we see you more and more. And Lord, we ask that you would come back. We ask that your kingdom would come. 
that we would take part, that our part that it is while we're here to live lives of holiness, to spread the gospel, and to give glory to you. But we do ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come back quickly. In your name we pray. Amen.